going to begin teaching today on what faith is, but I'm going to approach it before I actually get to what faith is, I'm going to teach you what faith is not. What faith is not. And the main thing that faith is not, faith is not doubt or unbelief. So I'm going to teach you about identifying and overcoming unbelief. Amen. Now the first thing, how many know that, the, first of all, you've got to identify something. You say if something's your enemy, you've got to identify your enemy. Uh, you'll say you're in a shooting war. If you're going to shoot the enemy, you've got to find out where he's at. Is that right? And who is the enemy? Is that right? You've got, you got, you got to put your sights on, on the problem. You've got to find the enemy, put your sights on the enemy. Now you can do something about him. So you can find him. Do you know who and what he is, what the enemy is? Then you're, you know, how can you deal with it? First of all, you've got to identify. How many understand that unbelief is an enemy? Doubt is an enemy. Unbelief is absolutely about the worst thing that could happen to you. Did you hear me? Absolutely. It's just, you know, practically the worst thing that could ever happen to you is unbelief and doubt. You might say, oh, Brother Keith, that's, that's a big statement. I know. I know it's a big statement. But let me ask you a question. Why do people go to hell? Unbelief. Is that true? Jesus said so. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized will be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. You understand there's nobody in hell because they were a, a liar or a thief or an adulterer? Do you know that? You know, there's nobody in hell just because of that. Why are people in hell? Because they wouldn't believe on the Lord. Why are you saved? Because you've done wonderful things and because you've lived perfect? And mm -mm. Why are you saved? Because you believe. Is that right? Because you believe. You believe on the Lord Jesus with your heart. You confessed him with your mouth and you're saved. Why are people not saved? Don't believe. Now, if that's true concerning the most important thing in life and eternity, then it's going to be true concerning the lesser things. Why are people robbed of the blessings of God? Unbelief. See, people, people don't understand it. They think their problem is lack of finance. They think their problem is lack of education, lack of opportunity, lack of this. They think their, their problem is the economy, the government. The this, the that. But the, the thing that's holding them in poverty is what? Unbelief. People think that their sickness is their problem. Their pain, the debility, the whatever. But really, what's the, what's the thing holding people back? I, I don't care whether it's you or me, whoever it is. It's unbelief. What, you know, what's holding people back from fulfilling the ministry that God's called them to? Well, it's lack of contacts. And lack of money and lack of eloquence. No, no, it's none of those things. None of those things. It's lack of faith. Unbelief. 
again and again. If you want to get to the real core, the real reason for the failure, the real reason for the defeat, it's unbelief. The Lord gave me a song one time several years ago called Robbed by the Thief of Unbelief. <laughs> Robbed by the Thief of Unbelief. That's the cause of many blessings not received. Because when you waver and you doubt, you rule your blessing out and you're robbed by the thief of unbelief. Let's see if I can remember some of, the, some of the verses. It's been several years ago. Uh, God gave the land of Canaan to his children. And he said, Lo, I am with you. Go on in. But when they saw those giants tall, they had no faith at all. And they were robbed by the thief of unbelief. Is that right? The disciples failed to set a young man free, even though they had authority. And when they asked the master why, to them he just replied, you were robbed by the thief of unbelief. Is that right? Peter walked upon the water. But he let those circumstances turn his head. And when he should have walked right on, he forgot the word he was standing on. And he was robbed by the thief of unbelief. How many of Peter could have walked all the way? Is that right? That first generation of Israelites could have went in Canaan's land and lived like kings. Is that right? Again and again and again. People could have had a victory story instead of a failure. Why was it a failure story? Robbed. Robbed. By what? The thief of unbelief. I'm telling you about the worst thing that could happen to you is unbelief. Now let me explain further. You might say, oh, Brother Keith, you know, how can you say that? I mean, all kinds of terrible physical problems, accidents, and financial needs. Listen, is there anything too hard for God to fix? No. What can God do with somebody full of doubt? Nothing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is there any need too big that God can't meet? No. Any disease too far gone that God can't heal? No. Any problem too bad that God can't fix? No. No. What can he do with somebody that won't believe? Nothing. Nothing. How many remember Jesus, anointed of the Holy Ghost, Went into his own hometown, stood up and read the scripture, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me. And the Bible said he could there do no mighty works. Didn't say he wouldn't. Mark 6, 5 said he couldn't. I mean, a powerful ministry like the Master's was essentially shut down. Other places, man, they're having miracles. They're having, you understand? They're having deliverances. They're having healings. But in this place in Jesus' hometown, not much, very little. Why? Because the Bible says he marveled at their unbelief. If unbelief would virtually shut down the ministry of the master as he walked on the earth, then what about ministries today? I said there's nothing too hard for God. But what about a person that doesn't believe? Do you understand why I said that unbelief is about the worst thing that could happen to you? 
Because no matter how bad your situation is, if you can believe God, God will give you the victory. He'll, he'll move for you. He'll do things for you. But if you doubt and, and, and are full of unbelief, you, go, you can go down the drain. With God on the throne, able to do anything for you, you can go right down the drain. Perish. It's happening in the world all the time. It's happening in the church with people. How many believe it's important to identify unbelief? Let's find out what this ugly stuff is. Yes. Make sure we know. Because the devil's very subtle and tricky. Have you found that out? I mean, he's, oh, he's, he's crafty. He's tricky. And I'm telling you, I, I've, been, I've been working in these areas for some years now. And I don't know what the people have come up and told me, oh, yeah, I'm in faith, I'm in faith. And they were in unbelief. They were in unbelief. Unbelief. So we're going to go into some detail, discussing and discovering what unbelief is. And if we see some of it in us, what are we going to do? <laughs> Let's get it out. Anybody in here think you've arrived in faith? Is it impossible that you might have a little unbelief somewhere? <laughs> How many would be open and honest to looking and seeing? And if you see some symptoms of unbelief, don't be hard-headed or proud. Just go, ah, there's some of that ugly stuff in me. Oh, i got to get it out. Amen. Is that right? right. Be humble enough to be instructed and taught so that you can get that stuff out of you and get full of faith. Get full of faith. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Everybody say it out loud while you're turning there. 1 Corinthians 10. Unbelief, unbelief. Is, my is my enemy. God hates unbelief. God hates unbelief. I, hate I hate unbelief. What is God like? What does God love? Faith. Faith. What do you love? Faith. Faith. We are anti-doubt. Is that right? You know, you see these people sometimes with these these symbols that's got the cross over, you know, none of this, know this or know that, you know. In my mind, I see doubt with a big one of those things on there. Doubt. Stamp it out. Is that right? I mean, we, you know, if you're going to be on a crusade to stamp out something, that's what you ought to stamp out. Stamp out doubt. But I'm telling you, you guys, if you're going to try to stamp out doubt, you got your work cut out for you, buddy, because it's a lot of it around and you can't necessarily take care of somebody else you can help you can speak words of faith around them you can be full of faith yourself and let it rub off on them but one first thing you got to do is take care of yourself is that right take care of yourself in first corinthians 10 let's begin reading here first corinthians 10 we're going to begin at the first verse he says moreover brethren I would not that you should be ignorant. Let's just start right there. What did God say? What did he say? I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, what does it mean when you're ignorant? It doesn't mean you're not capable of learning, necessarily. What, is it just, what does it mean? It means you don't know something. Right? Now, if the Lord says, I don't want you to, to not know this, then you ought to perk up because he wouldn't even bring it up unless there's a real good chance that as you sit there, you don't know it. Is that right? 
He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of this, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And he's talking about Israel, you understand. And they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They did all eat the same spiritual meat. They did all drink the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And with many of them, God was not well pleased. Now, what pleases God? And so God wasn't pleased with them. So what do we know right away? They must not have been operating in faith. They must have been in doubt and unbelief. He said, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Overthrown. Now, I don't know whether you realize it, but there's a, there's a connection with this verse back to the, 20, the last verse of the ninth chapter, the 27th verse. It says they were overthrown in the wilderness, and in verse 27, Paul said, I keep under my body, I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Castaway. Now that word castaway has the connotation of being disqualified, being rejected and disqualified. That first generation of Israelites, God wasn't pleased with them. And they were disqualified from entering into the blessings of God. Can you see that? They were overthrown in the wilderness. And that's what Paul said. Paul said, I have to keep my body under too so that I don't wind up getting disqualified. None of us want to be disqualified. How many understand that one can disqualify themselves from the blessings of God already bought and paid for for them? Back to verse 6. Now these things were our what? Examples. What things are our examples? The things that happened with the Israelites, how they wound up being disqualified and dying out in the wilderness. That's an example for us. An example of what? Example not to do it. Is that right? You understand the Bible has both positive and negative examples. There are examples like Abraham, set up as an example of faith. Be like Abraham. Believe God. There's examples of doubt and unbelief, like the first generation of Israelites. God says, see those people? Read about them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't be like them. <laughs> well, I sure don't want to be an example of unbelief, do you? <laughs> I want to be an example of faith. I want God telling anybody, see Keith Moore? Yeah, don't be like him. No, 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 no. No. I want to be able to say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm doing my best to act like him. Is that right? To be an example. Christ is our ultimate example. And so the more a person is acting like Christ, the more they are an example. How many know that Christ never operated, the Lord Jesus never operated in doubt and unbelief? Never. Not one day, not one moment of his life did he ever get negative and doubt God. Never, never. Never, not a moment, not a second. Now, I don't know if you understand what a statement that is. What a glorious statement. Have you ever doubted? Huh? Have you ever got negative about something? I'm afraid you have. You know what I mean? Now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus went through all the temptations that you and I have undergone and experienced, but he never yielded to the temptation to doubt. 
Did you know that you'll be tempted to doubt? Oh, you, you know more about it than you're letting on. You, you have actually experienced the temptation to doubt, and you have yielded to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you have, and I have too. I'm not proud of it. And that's why we're teaching, because we want to we eliminate this kind of thing, weed it out of our lives. It's ugly stuff called unbelief. But Jesus is our hero. Never one moment of unbelief and doubt. Not a moment. Jesus never got negative. He never let himself get discouraged. Oh, he was tempted. He was tempted in all points like as we are, but he never got negative. He never doubted. Never doubted. I don't know what that means to you, but that means something to me. That, that to me, you know, people have got their idols. People they idolize. People that they want to be like. Mine's Jesus. I want to be like him. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how rough it is. He held up his head in faith, and he spoke the word of God, and he expected the good thing and the right thing to happen. Glory to God. Even, even his dying words, his dying words on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Can you, that's not, can you understand that's not words of defeat? Those are not words of defeat. He's breathing his last breath in the agony of pain and death with the weight of sin on his spotless soul. But to him, it's not the end. It's not defeat. He will never admit defeat. Father, into your hands, I commit my... He's expecting something to happen on the other side. Can you see that? He's expecting just exactly what he was told, what the scriptures have prophesied. After three days, he's going to rise from the dead with the keys of death. Hell, he died in faith. He died in faith. Oh, glory to God. That, that moves me to the core of my being. He died in faith. Glory to God. How I many know when, you, when, when somebody dies, especially like that, you, you should be tempted to think, this is it. I'm defeated. I lost. I'm dead. No, 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 not the master. Never. How many know no matter what happens to you, no matter how bad it is, no matter what you feel, you never have to doubt. Never. You, you, you can't, may not be able to just blink your eyes and change your situations. You wish you could. But I don't care how bad it gets, you never have to doubt. You never have to get negative. Never, never, never. No matter what. You can be positive no matter what. You can be in faith no matter what. Do you understand? I think people excuse doubt too much. I think they tolerate it too much. They just almost expect, well, you know, you're going to have days when you're in faith and days when you doubt and waver, and that's just life. <laughs> no, that's just a weak, wavery Christian. And God will forgive you, but you don't have to live like that. And I don't know if you've discovered it or not. If you haven't, I know if you walk with the Lord, you will. The Lord 
Well, let me say it like this. Unbelief and doubt irritate him and anger him. I think sometimes Christians look at it like, well, uh, you know, the Lord just looks on a, on, on a Christian that's full of doubt and unbelief and just kind of wants to pat him on the back, go, oh, honey, I know, you know, you're full of doubt and bless your heart, you poor ignorant thing, you know. But it actually angers the Lord when we doubt. It irritates him. And if we're persistent in it, it angers him. Now you can see that in you can see that in the gospel accounts. Particularly one account over in Mark 3, where the Jesus ministered to the man with the withered hand. And the Bible said that, uh, you know, they were all there to find fault and stuff. And these Pharisees, people that have been reading the Bible all their life, should have had some faith. Just full of doubt and unbelief and skepticism and bitterness and judgmental and sarcastic and all this other stuff. He, the Bible said he looked around on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart, you see. And their unbelief. You know, uh, when Jesus had raised from the dead and he appeared to the disciples there in Mark 16, and the first time they saw him, they all jumped and shouted and smiled. And he said, praise God, I'm alive. And he said, yeah, wonderful. No, no, no. The Bible said he upbraided them. He rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. What did he say? What's the first thing the Lord said to them? Hey, I'm alive. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? No, he said, why didn't you believe the women? They came and told you, I told you when I was with you, why didn't you believe? Is that what he said or not? Why didn't you believe? He upbraid. What does upbraid mean? Hmm? It's a rebuking kind of thing, isn't it? He upbraided them. What'd you doubt for? How I many when Peter walked on the water and he got to looking at the storm and he, fell and he started sinking, when the Lord reached out, he said, help, Lord. He grabbed his hand, pulled him up. What did, what did he say to him? Well, Peter, you know, congratulations, buddy. You're the first man to ever walk on the water besides me. I know you doubted and, and slipped in the water, but you know you're human. You can just expect that. What? What did he say? He looked at him. He said, why'd you doubt? Why'd you doubt? Why? When he was in the storm and asleep, and you know, it looked like they're all going to drown. And they went back and shook him and said, Lord, don't you care? We're about to drown here. He got up, spoke to the wind, the waves, immediately became calm. He looked at them and he said, where's your faith at? Why don't you have any faith? God expects us to have faith. He doesn't just encourage us, you know, you ought to try to believe. No, he expects it. Did you know that? Yeah. He expects it. And when we doubt, it irritates him. If we persist in doubting, it'll anger him. Yeah. I think many times people haven't looked and haven't seen unbelief like the Lord sees it. Really, there, there's forgiveness for unbelief, but did you know that there's no excuse for unbelief? You don't usually get much shouting on, on that one. <laughs> I said, did you know there's no excuse for unbelief? I'm talking about particularly among uh, believers that have heard the word. There's no excuse. You never have to doubt. You doubt because you choose to.
Now just hold with me. Some of you look like you don't know whether you like this or not, but just 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 hold on. Take take all the medicine. Don't just take a little of it. Take the whole dose. So it'll do you good. Amen. Besides that, it'll help you. He said, these Israelites, the things that happened to them, they happened as what? Examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Don't be idolaters as they were. Don't commit fornication like they did. Don't tempt Christ. Everybody say tempt. Say don't tempt Christ like some of them did. Don't murmur. Everybody say murmur. Don't murmur like they did. Verse 11. Now all these things happened to them for what? In samples, or that, again, that word means example or type. Everything happened, all those things happened for examples or types, and they're written for who? For our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What's he said? You need to watch that the same thing that happened to them doesn't happen to you. There's a reason why God had all this history of, of Israel and their unbelieving actions recorded, all of, uh, you know, uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy and parts of Leviticus and all of that. I mean, how many know God didn't just put that in there just for stories? And ex he, he had those things recorded for us and passed down and preserved through the years so that we would get a crystal clear picture of what unbelief is and what happens to unbelief and what kind of results it produces so that we would see it and not do it. Amen. Is that right? And in verse 13, he says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God's faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, we've already said that one temptation is a temptation to doubt. Is God faithful? What, what did he say here? That he won't allow you, he won't permit you, he won't suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able. So when a person says, you know, uh, man, it just, just, just temptation to doubt and temptation to fear just overwhelmed me and I couldn't help myself. Is that true? I said, is that true? That they couldn't help it? They really were overwhelmed and they just they didn't have a choice. They almost had to doubt and fear. No, because God said he wouldn't allow. He wouldn't allow temptation to come to you that's beyond and above what you, by his grace, uh, can handle. Is that right? How many know God loves you and he's looking out for you? But I will say this now. As your faith grows and develops, you can handle more. Is that right? And so oftentimes, uh, things are allowed that will test your faith and try your faith a little more. Did you hear? That's how your faith grows. That's how you develop, using your faith. When you're just a baby Christian, God knows that you, you, know, you can't tolerate too much temptation. Is that right? And so he looks out for you. And uh, he, he's not going to let things go too long, go too far. He's protecting you. He's, he's looking out for you, if you'll just believe. But then as you, uh, uh, as you grow older and develop and mature, then you should be to the place where you can stand longer. Is that right? And, and not be moved as much by things as you used to. Because you've seen God move for you again and again. Is that right? And you should be developing and growing. Can you say amen? amen. Have you ever noticed that a lot of times baby Christians... When they get saved, 
uh, they, they just first saved, don't know much of anything about God, but find out just a little bit about faith and receiving, and man, they pray a prayer, they pray it this morning, and it happens in the afternoon. Huh? Ain't God do anything like that for you when you first got saved? I mean, you know. But then a lot of times as time things go on and time goes on, people get confused because they think, well, you know, I prayed the same kind of prayer and it's been three weeks now. And uh, what, uh, what's going on here? I must be slipping. No. Actually, the opposite's true. I remember Peter talking about the trial of your faith. But when things don't happen, your faith's tried. When you don't see the change and time periods longer or circumstances are more severe, your faith is tried more. Can you see that? And how much you can experience before you give up and quit shows where your faith's at. You understand? You know, some people, you know, it doesn't take much. And they give up and quit. Any little thing. And they get negative and pessimistic. And, well, I tried, but it didn't work. And they're, they're out of here. <laughs> but a person who's full of faith and, and they won't yield to the temptation of doubt and unbelief, they just keep holding on. Day after day. Feel good, feel bad. Makes no difference. You understand? They have the tenacity of a bulldog. They entrench themselves in the Word of God. And having done all to stand, they stand. Is that right? Make up your mind. I mean, you know, when you experience, whenever the fiber of your being says, quit, quit, just give up and quit, it's not working. Grit your teeth and say, I refuse to doubt. I refuse to doubt. God hates doubt and I hate it too. Make up your mind. I'm not going to have a negative molecule in my being. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> I don't know if I'm communicating it properly to you or not, but uh, I hate unbelief. I despise it. I don't care if it's in you or in me. I, I despise it. doesn't mean I despise you. But I hate unbelief. How many know you can love a sinner and hate their sin? Is that right? Well, you can love a Christian, but hate their doubt. I hate doubt. I despise it. There's no excuse for it. I said there's no excuse for doubt. If you couldn't help it, it'd be different. But nobody ever in any situation has to doubt. Never. You don't ever have to. Jesus proved it. I said, yeah, but that's the Son of God. Yeah, but he was walking as a man with no unfair advantage over us. Jesus proved it. When somebody says, well, you, you can't help but doubt, you can look at Jesus and say, huh, he never did. Yeah, but that's Jesus. Yeah, but he emptied himself and became a man and operated as a man. He proved it. You know we're all going to be judged by him, by the standard of Jesus Christ? If you didn't know that, you ought to read your New Testament again. I said, that's too high. It's too high. It's that. I didn't say it. <laughs> We're going to be judged by that standard. And there's no need in us telling the Father God, well, yeah, but you don't understand. As mortal human beings, you just can't do that. You can't walk like that every day. And he'll just look over at Jesus <laughs> and look back at you. 
Well, I tried to keep from sinning, but I just couldn't help it. He'll just look at Jesus and look back at you. Yeah, but that's Jesus. Yes, and he did it as a man. Not as God. As a man. Proving that you can do it. He proved you don't have to doubt. You don't have to sin. You don't have to disobey God. You don't have to fail. He proved it conclusively forever. Is that right? Amen. He did. Now I realize that a lot of people, they just, they just won't accept what I just said. They just won't accept that. They don't believe that. Yeah, but that's Jesus, Brother Keith. He's God. And see, it's easier to believe that than what I just said. Because what I just said uh, jerks the slack out of you. You see what I'm saying? And makes you look at the fact, look at the thing right in the eye and go, dear God, I better tighten up. <laughs> Is that right? And there's no need me making excuses because the master has already proven what a human being can do. Is that right? Now, thank God. There's forgiveness if you miss it. There's forgiveness. There's cleansing if you doubt. If you sin, there is. But to say you couldn't help it is a lie. Do you understand? I hope you do. If you don't, don't throw it away. Meditate on it. Think about it. Look at it. Uh, go with me, if you would, over to uh, Hebrews, the third chapter. And also, 1 Timothy. Anybody going to come back tomorrow? No. <laughs> I may, I may run, it, run everybody off, you know. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I ain't taking it back, though. <laughs> I'm not taking it back, because I can give you Scripture for all of it. And I have given you Scripture. Hebrews 3, 1 Timothy 1. In fact, let's look at 1 Timothy 1 first. 1 Timothy, first chapter, then we go to Hebrews. 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. This is Paul writing by the Holy Ghost, inspiration of the Spirit. 1 Timothy 1, 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and injurious. How many know that Paul did a lot of bad things in his life before he got saved, before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus? He hurt a lot of people in many ways because he did everything within his ability to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything he could do. He used his influence. He used his wealth. He used his education. He used his position. He used everything. He probably laid awake at night figuring out ways how he could destroy churches until he met the master and his whole life changed. And then he spent the rest of his life laying awake at night and praying in the Holy Ghost figuring out how to build churches. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he did all over the known world. Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica, Philippi, 
you know, all over the place. Rome, he built churches everywhere. God used him mightily. Amen. But he said, he said, I was, a, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. I did all, all kind of harm. But I obtained mercy. He did, didn't he? God, I mean, you know, God could have judged him and destroyed him. But he said, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Did you see the, that, that phrase? I did it what? Ignorantly. How many understand Paul really didn't realize what he was doing? See, he thought that he was doing God a favor by wiping out this sect that was attacking the fundamentals of Judaism. I mean, he didn't believe in the Lord Jesus. He didn't believe in the kingdom of God. He didn't believe in any of that. He's definitely doubting all of that. But he was doubting it how? In his ignorance. In his ignorance. Now go with me to Hebrews. Third chapter. Keep that thought in mind. Go with me to Hebrews, the third chapter. Now, how many understand the Hebrews 3 here? He is talking about the Israelites, that first generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt and perished in the wilderness. And he said in verse uh, uh, 7 of chapter 3, Hebrews 3, 7, he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Now, see, provocation, you could say, in the time when they provoked him. In the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now notice this. He's using the word temptation here. We've been talking about temptation. But notice how it's used here. When your fathers tempted me. And we're talking about, we talked about individuals being tempted to doubt. But I understand that God can be tempted. Now, when we say tempted, you have to qualify that. Of course, you know, James says that God can't be tempted with evil, right? But this word actually has the connotation of testing God, testing him and trying him. He said, he said that bunch tempted me. Now, we're going to talk about exactly what that means. It's, it's, it's very interesting and something to think about. But let's, let's keep reading first. He said, verse 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. And I said, They do always err in their heart. How many of this is not something that just happened one or two times? He said, This is the way they are all the time. And they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath. Did God get mad? Yeah, he got mad. And he said, they shall not enter into my rest. They disqualified themselves from the blessings that God had already procured for them. Can you see that? He said, verse 12, take heed, brethren. Who's he talking to now? Us. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He said, you better watch lest the same kind of thing happen to you. Lest your heart's full of unbelief like that. He said, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. We'll exhort one another to what? Believe God. Is that right? How many know that's a good response to anything? 
Well, brother, I got bills. Believe God. Well, brother, I got pain. Believe God. Well, brother, I got relationship problems. Believe God. I got trouble on the job. Believe God. Is that right? I got an ill-tempered dog. Believe God. I don't care what your problem is. I can't sleep at night. Believe God. Can't get along with my in-laws. Believe God. How many of there's never a time to doubt? There's never a time. Never a time to doubt. Always believe God. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, in the middle of the night, everywhere in every state, in every room of the house. Is that right? Believe God, believe God, believe God. He said, exhort one another. While it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence. How many of confidence is a faith word? If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Well, what if you don't hold the beginning of your confidence steadfast? What if you give up? What if you get discouraged? What if you quit? Well, you won't be made a partaker of Christ in these areas. Everything you need is in Christ. But if you're going to partake of it, you've got to get in faith, you've got to have confidence about it, and you've got to have confidence until. Not just for a little while, you've got to keep believing until you see it and feel it. He said, while it said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard. Now I'm getting to something else here. Did you notice? Paul said, I did what I did in unbelief, but I did it. How? Ignorantly. But notice, did, were these people ignorant about what God had given them, about what God had done for them, about what God could do? They had seen the move of God. They saw the judgments of God in Egypt. They saw the deliverance of God in Egypt time after time after time after time after time after time. He told them, he'd been telling them for months that the promised land is yours. I've already given it to you. It's a good land. It flows with milk and honey. They heard. They had heard. They knew. They couldn't say they were ignorant. But it says, for some, when they had heard, even after they had heard, what they do? Did provoke. They tempted God. They provoked him. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved? Because you see that younger generation that came out, they went into the promised land. Some of them did go in, but that older generation, they didn't. He said, with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? What kept them out? The giants, the Anakim, the walls of Jericho, the combined armies of the, you know, Canaanites? No, no. What kept them out? Unbelief is what kept them out. What caused them to wander around in circles in the wilderness and die off one by one? Unbelief. Unbelief is a terrible thing, isn't it? Oh, it's such a terrible, horrible thing. Unbelief can absolutely ruin you, destroy you. Even when there are blessings waiting right across the road. <laughs> Do you know how close they were to the promised land? All those years that they were wandering around out there in the desert. Just a few days. Just a few days. If they had left Egypt 
and took a straight course right up, uh, you know, the, 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 the landmass next to the coast there, whatever, and went right into the promised land, it probably wouldn't have taken them a week. Maybe a week, or maybe two at the outside, with, even with a big host like they had, and they could have been in the promised land. Forty years later. Forty years! I'm talking about walking. I'm not talking about driving in a car. Walking! It's only like a hundred and something miles. A hundred and some odd miles. Forty years. Round and round and round and round. Blessings right there. Right there. A few miles away. Blessings. Vineyards. Fruit trees. Houses built and furnished. And they're out there in a the tent in the desert. Getting old. No blessing, no joy. What kept them out there? Unbelief. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in. Why? Because of unbelief. Now, chapter 4 goes right with this. I mean, there's a chapter 4 designation, but this is one letter. It's all written together. He said, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. They had the good news about Canaan's land preached to them. We've had the good news about Jesus Christ and the Canaan's land of our blessings preached to us. But the word preached didn't profit them. Why? Because they didn't mix faith with it. It was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Now skip down to verse 6. It says, Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Skip down to verse 11. Let us labor... Therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. It's interesting to note, if you look up these words, these two words here in verse 6 and verse 11 of chapter 4, unbelief, it's a different word than the word you find in the gospel accounts. It's a different word than you find over there in 1 Timothy 1, where Paul said, uh, you know, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. It, it, the word for unbelief, where it says, I did it ignorantly in unbelief, it just simply means you didn't believe. He didn't believe because he didn't know. He wasn't enlightened. But here, it's another word. Let me read the definition for the word that's here. It's the word uh, apatheia, I believe is how it's pronounced. And this is what it literally means. This is from Vines. It says, it's the condition of being unpersuadable. Unpersuadable. Do you see, I've shown you already two kinds of unbelief. One is an unbelief because you don't know. But another one is an unbelief because you know, but you can't be persuaded of it. Which one's more serious? The latter. Unpersuadableness. Understand that there's a lot of people in the world that are not believing in God because they're ignorant of some things. They don't know. They don't know. 
Now, of course, it still cause them problems and cause them not to receive, but, uh, you know, you can understand they don't know. But there are also many, many people, they know. They've heard. They've seen. But they believe the devil's lies instead. They know what God said. But they believe the devil's lies instead. It's not a matter that they're ignorant of what God said or what God can do. They just are unpersuaded. You ever told, you know, you ever told somebody something and, and, and then they maybe looked at you and said, well, I hear you. <laughs> huh? I hear what you're saying. Does that mean that they agree with you? They, that they believe it? Now, well, do they know what you said? Yeah. But does that mean they're persuaded of it? No. No. Go back with me to Numbers. We've been talking about this, and let's go, let's go on back there and look at it. The Bible has told us repeatedly that the Israelites, that first generation that came out of Egypt, are examples of unbelief, and we're supposed to study them and not be like them. Have you studied them? Hmm? Well, you're going to this week if you're with us, so, so if you haven't, just, just, you know, you're in a good place. And if you have, it wouldn't hurt to study them some more, now would it? I've studied them many, many times, but I'm studying them again this week, going over it again. And I tell you, I get excited about these things because it, you know, it might sound negative that you're, somebody said, what's, what's Brother Keith teaching on in healing school? Unbelief. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not teaching you how to get full of unbelief. I'm teaching you what it is and how to deal with it. Is that right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a very present danger. It's a very present problem. It's the thing that's holding people out of their promises and blessings in Canaan's land. Now, did you see these two things we mentioned? Ignorant and unbelieving. Unbelieving and unpersuadable. A distinguished. There's two different Greek words. Two different Greek words. One just simply means you're not believing. Lack of faith. Not, no faith. The other one means... You know, but you can't be persuaded. You see it, you've heard it, but you don't believe it. Now, this tells us that this, last, this generation of Israelites that perished in the wilderness, that's where they were at. We've already read, they heard the word. Is that right? They heard it. But they couldn't be persuaded. Moses tried to persuade them. Oh, he talked to them. Aaron talked to them. God talked to them. Is that right? <laughs> but they couldn't be persuaded. You know, as a minister, that's one of the most frustrating things about my job or anybody's in the ministry is people won't always listen to the word and the truth. They won't always listen. I've actually talked to people before, shared, you know, prayed about it half the night before I talked to them. Studied, looked at some things. God spoke to me. I went to them. I talked to them. Shared with them from my heart, best I knew how, in the spirit of love. And looked at me and said, well, I know that. That's probably right, but I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it from you either. <laughs> more, than, I, I, more than once I've had people look at me and say, well, I don't want to hear it from you. Well, I didn't volunteer to come tell them. 
God had to deal with me half the night to get me to do it. Because I figured that's what they'd say. <laughs> but people can say what they want to. I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say I did what he told me to do. Do you know God told the prophet uh, Jeremiah and, and he took similar things to Ezekiel and different ones. He told them to go preach. He even told uh, sometimes in some cases, he said, they're not going to believe you. They're not going to believe you. They're hard-headed, they're stubborn, they're stiff-necked. They won't hear you. You might say, well, God, why go then? There are reasons. There are several reasons. One thing is God is just. And nobody will be able to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, well, Lord, you didn't tell me. You didn't show me. You didn't warn me. I didn't know I couldn't help it. He'll say, I sent so-and-so. You heard from so-and-so. I told you this. I dealt with you on this. I reminded you this. Did you hear me? How many know God will be justified? And let God be true and every man a liar that God's faithful. Is that right? And there'll be times God might have you share something with somebody and, uh, uh, and, and, and they're not going to receive it. But he in his fairness and justice is showing them, I gave you a chance. I showed you. I gave you an opportunity. It's not my fault. It's yours. I, I know what somebody was telling me the other, other day about just, just not that many days ago. It was on the news about a certain woman had been killed, murdered. And uh, this person was saying that a friend of theirs that worked with this girl uh, just two days before she was killed got it on her heart, witness to you got a witness to that woman, got a witness to that woman, got a witness to her. And she didn't really want to do it, but just God just kept dealing with it. Finally, she went to her. And, and, and she said, just never, never had been compelled like that to go talk to somebody. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. And finally she did. And she talked to her, and the girl didn't, wasn't interested. She talked, she talked, poured out her heart, you know. Don't reject the Lord. You, you need to receive him. You don't know. And the, the girl just said, no, no, I don't want to hear it. Two days later, she's killed. See, God sent that woman to talk to her. And if she, I don't know whether she could have received the Lord in those two days. I don't know. Who knows? But if she didn't and she winds up in hell, she can't blame God. She can't say, well, you didn't tell me. You didn't, you know. You understand? He sent a woman to her specifically, tried to talk to her for hours or more. And she just, no, no, no. And the girl just couldn't get a release. She just kept hanging on. You know, please, you know. You don't know what this means. You don't know. See, she didn't know she's going to be killed the next two days. It was on the news. Somebody murdered her. Young woman. Young woman. God's good. He's faithful. He's just. Is that right? But you can't make somebody believe. You ever tried? <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have, oh boy, I have. Because you, cause you love people and you want to see them blessed and you want to see them victorious. And you know if they just quit being negative and quit doubting and start believing, God would move for them. And so you try everything, you know. Do everything but try to take off the top of their head and stick some faith down in them. Believe God. <laughs> but you can't. I've, I've find, finally come to, to realize you can't. If somebody doesn't want to hear it, then you, you just might as well be quiet. You understand? 
You can't make somebody believe. You can't make them be positive. You can't make them quit listening to the devil and quit believing lies instead of God's truth. You can't make people. I've had people look at me with tears and go, well, I know it's just the devil telling me that. Well, why are you listening to it? If you know it's the devil. Well, I don't know. I just, you know. Don't believe that. Don't believe that. This is what God said. Believe this. Well, I know he said that, but... Sometimes you just want to shake people and go, Would you quit it? Quit doubting and believe. Here's something that's very sobering, and this whole message today has been kind of straight. But, you know, we need all of it, don't we? I mean, we need the whole thing. But here's another thought, and we're going to look at numbers there. This kind of unpersuadable unbelief that we're seeing here, if, it's not, if a person doesn't judge their self and they won't quit that, eventually that kind of unbelief will be judged. It'll be judged. And a person can be disqualified from receiving their blessings because they just doubt too much and too long. That's a sobering thought. But we saw it. Did you see it in 1 Corinthians 10? About the disqualified, being rejected, God wasn't pleased with them. In Hebrews 3 here, God said he got mad about the way they acted. And eventually he said to them, you know, uh, he swore in his anger, in his wrath. He said, none of them going to enter into the, to the, my rest. He brought the children in. All of them died. Is God just? Is he faithful? Yes. Then let's see... What got them to that place? It didn't happen in a day or two. It didn't happen in a week or two. You understand? It didn't happen in a month or two. But they got to the place where God said, That's it. I'm fed up with your unpersuadableness. I'm fed up with you not believing me. You're not going to enter into the blessings. I know that's a sober word. But it's Scripture. It's Bible. Have you found numbers yet? 14th chapter. Now, I'd just as soon preach something to make you shout and run around the room, you know. But uh, I'm supposed to preach what God puts on my heart. Is that right? Not take requests. <laughs> I, don't, I don't do requests. <laughs> uh, not on songs. Not on sermons. I don't do requests. Entertainers do requests. I'm serious. I'm as serious as I can be. I don't, you know, I learned that a long time ago. It hurts the anointing if you do requests. No, Mister. I mean, you know, if we're just we're just sitting around doing something, and somebody says, "Would you show me how this song goes?" or something. Yeah, that's fine. But I'm talking about in a service. God's ordered some things to be done. In Numbers, the 14th chapter. How many know what happened here at Numbers 13 and 14? Kadesh Barnea. They chose spy from each tribe, sent them into the land. They searched the land for 40 days. They brought back 
the fruit of the land, a bunch of grapes so big, took two men to carry it, pomegranates, beautiful fruit, wonderful thing, just like God said, flows with milk and honey. But they said it's, you know, too many giants, walls are too tall, we can't do it. They all got depressed. The whole bunch of them cried in their tents all night that night. You remember that? They got mad at Joshua and Caleb, almost stoned them. They got mad at Moses and Aaron and said, Why did you bring us out here in the desert to kill us? Now these, these Amorites are going to kill us. These Amalekites are going to kill us. We're all going to die in the wilderness. That's not the first time they'd said that. They've been saying it ever since they left Egypt. In spite of all God had done for them. Now in verse 22, let's read verse 21, it goes with it. Numbers 14, 21, he, the Lord's speaking here. He said, as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. How many believe that? Whether men want to cooperate or whether they don't, whether men doubt him or whether they believe him, God's going to work his plan. Somebody's going to believe him. Is that right? And it's going to get done. If you don't believe him, well, you'll just have to step aside. Somebody will. And God's going to get his plan done. And the glory of the Lord's going to fill the earth. The Lord's going to come back. He's going to set up his kingdom outwardly. I'm going to be right in the middle of it. How about you? I'm not going to be of those that doubted. I'm going to be of the believing ones. He said, verse 22, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me, now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear to their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him. Now, they had the spirit of doubt. What kind of spirit did Caleb have? Spirit of faith and believing. Amen? And he said, He's followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. Say to them, As truly as I live, say the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. What had they been saying all this time? So God said, You said it, you're going to have it. He said, Your carcasses are fall in the wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save, save or accept Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. And your little ones, which you said would be a prey, them will I bring in, and they'll know the land which you have despised. Yes. He said, yeah, you talked about your kids. They're all going to die out in the wilderness. No, he said, I'm going to bring them in. And they are going to see it, and they're going to have it, and they're going to enjoy it. But you're not. Unbelieving bunch. Can you see God's angry? Uh, if you can't, you, you're not reading right, you know. God's upset. How many of God doesn't fly off the handle? Is that right? They didn't just make a little mistake that day, and then God just flew off the handle and got mad. And said, that's it, you're not entering the promised land. This had been coming a long time. Can you see this? 
This had been coming ever since he started bringing them out of Egypt. He mentioned 10 specific times that they tempted him. Now, I told you we were going to talk a little bit more about that. What does it mean they tempted God? We're going to study each of these ten times. Unless the Lord leads us differently. We're going to take the time and look at every one of these. Because what, what do we want to find out about? Unbelief. We want to see what unbelief sounds like, what it looks like, what it does. So what? So we can stay as far away from it as possible. If they said it, we ain't going to say it. If they acted like that, we are not going to act like that. Right? Anything they did, we, we're not going to do. Because that's the example they are to us of what not to do. But God said they tempted me and they provoked me ten times. And finally he said, that's it, that's it. You, you're never going to change. You're unpersuadable. How many know God knows the end from the beginning? If these folk would have believed him tomorrow and went on in, he would have known that. It would have been different. But see, they've proven they're never going to change. They're always going to be gripers and bellyachers and complainers and negative and doubting. So he said, fine. You have disqualified yourself from entering into the blessings I've prepared for you. You've confessed it ever since you left Egypt that you're going to die in the wilderness. So according to your faith, be it unto you. You had faith to die, so die. wonder if God's changed since then. God never changes. Is that right? Now, let me give you just a brief example, and then I'm going to let you go. I kind of hate to leave you. I'd like to go on into some other things today, but, but uh, I, that just, you just should come back. You understand? Come back tomorrow. If you didn't like today's service, you might like tomorrow's service. <laughs> come back tomorrow, and it might be real different, you know. Or it might be the same. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not making any guarantees. But you know, I, are you serious about this or not, you see? If you're serious, you look at the real issues. You just play around with the fringe. You want to get right in the, let's, let's look at the core. Let's look under the hood, right? Let's, let's get in the middle of it. Let's see exactly how this thing works. And if it's ugly, well, let's look at it and deal with it. Let's be honest about it. They tempted him. They provoked him. Have you ever heard a person say, don't tempt me? <laughs> Have you? What do they mean by that? <laughs> huh? Anybody ever, you know, heard that? Have you really? It, what, it, I may have said it. Somebody said, I said it, you know. <laughs> what kind of... What kind of situation? Now, I don't, I don't want any, any long testimonies here, but you know, what, what kind of situation was it? Usually, it's when somebody has said something to you, right? And then you respond, don't tempt me. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> uh, I've seen people sometimes that bless their hearts, they, uh, they tried to act like that they couldn't control herself. Tried to blame all their actions on the devil. Devil made me do it, you know. 
I've seen people just that. Now, there are people that are really in serious condition and trouble, and they need help. But there's other people. I've seen people fall out on the floor and writhe around and make weird noises. And, and they wasn't out of control. They're just acting stupid. I'm serious. I've seen it. And I've seen people get to flailing their arms. Man, they hit people and hurt people and all kinds. Of, and then try to act like, you know, well, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. And I've been dealing with people like that before, and they start acting crazy on me like that, and I've grabbed them and shoved them down in a chair, and they looked at me like, uh, don't hit me, and I looked at them like, don't tempt me. <laughs> and I act ignorant. Really? Now, if it was something that somebody was actually in terrible condition, you'd know it by the Spirit of God, and the Holy Ghost come on you to deal with it. I have had people acting the fool in the floor. I just looked at them and said, get up. Would you just get up? Get up and sit down. You know, people do stuff for attention. People do stuff for attention. To disrupt the service. You understand what I'm saying? To, yeah. Now, there are legitimate problems. Don't you misunderstand me? There are legitimate things that happen to people, and they can't help it and from the best that they know. And you understand, there's ministry needed, but, but there are other times when people just, you know, they need to slack jerked out of them, you know. They need to be told, straighten up and fly right. Quit acting like a goofball. <laughs> but have you ever heard that phrase, don't tempt me? Huh? Don't tempt me. Somebody, somebody might say, you know, well, uh, well, if you feel like slapping me, why don't you just slap me? <laughs> and the person might say, don't tempt me. Don't, don't tempt me. Because my flesh has been yelling for the last 10 minutes to slap you. Anyway. <laughs> now, I'm talking about intense situations here, but, but you understand what, what I mean? Well, I'm just a good man, pack up my stuff and leave. Sometimes the person might think, Go. Don't tempt me, you know. Huh? God said they did that to him. Ten times. Now, we're going to look at all those situations one by one. But, but what, what, for example, like what? Again and again, when things got to go in rough, they'd say, I wish God had just killed us in Egypt. Been better than dying out here. I wish you, Lord, just let us die rather than have to die in war up there. I mean, they had a death vocabulary. You understand? Every time they turned around, it was die, 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 die. We're going to die. We would have died. We're going to die. We should have died. We're all going to die. All of us going to die. <laughs> but can you see why? Now, I, you, you get a real glimpse into the character of God if you, if you watch this closely. When, when they're saying, oh, I wish God, you know, God's heard it for the umpteenth time now. I wish God would just kill us back in Egypt, God is saying. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. Well, this God would just wipe us out and put us out of our misery. God's thinking, don't tempt me. There were times when they looked up and they said, Well, now, can God provide or not? God was thinking, Don't tempt me. 
Yeah, I can provide. I can provide new cemeteries for all of you. <laughs> I can provide me a new generation out of Moses. I can start over. I mean, he, he brought it up, didn't he? Well, they really did. They actually said things along that line. Can God do it or not? That's tempting God. People do it all the time in different ways. Well, I wish I'd just die. I wish God just put me out of my misery. I wish this. Or I wish this had never happened. I wish I'd have never got here. I wish, you know. What was God was thinking when they, they're saying, I wish we'd just been left in Egypt. We had good things to eat in Egypt. And it was so wonderful. You were a piece of property in Egypt, Dumbo. Treated like a mule. Whipped like a dog. Worked like an animal. You didn't own the clothes on your back. Nothing. You're rich. You got gold in your tent. You're on your way to a promised land. And all they can do is sing the blues and talk about, I wish we were back in Egypt. And God's thinking, I wish I'd have left you in Egypt. <laughs> he said, you're tempting me. You're tempting me. You're tempting me. And they tempted him one too many times. I said, they tempted him one too many times. At Kadesh Barnea, they started that same junk again, that crying, that boo-hooing, that negative stuff. And God said, that's it. That's it. That's it. You're going to die in the wilderness, just like you said. And they did. How many can see what a terrible thing unbelief is? How many understand that you never have to be in unbelief? You never have to die. No matter how dark and how bad it is, you can always believe God. You can always be positive if you just will. It's your decision. It's not like it's something that only a few very spiritual people can do. It's a matter of whether you decide to be spiritual or negative. Expect good or expect evil. It's a decision. And you can do that no matter how bad it is. Now, I, I want you to believe God with me. And in these next days, we're going to get it. We're going to back up, and we're going to look at number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and we're going to make a list of what unbelief is. Praise God. Praise God. All, right? All right? And that's a list that we don't do. Right. Is that right? right? And I want you to be able to identify unbelief quickly in yourself, in other people. You can see it. You can know it so that you don't yield to it. You don't yield to the temptation to doubt and disbelieve and therefore don't wind up in the position of tempting God like they did and perishing and being robbed of blessings like they were. We are of those who believe and those who go in. We're like that Joshua generation, glory to God. We're the ones that go in. We, we take the land. We enjoy the blessings. We conquer the enemy. Is that right? We are, we are, we are, we do, we will, because we believe. Say, I'm a believer. I'm not a doubter. I hate doubt. I refuse to doubt. I'm a believer. I believe. All the time. Everywhere. In 
I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Hallelujah. Are you? Glory to God. We're on a stamp out doubt crusade this week. Amen. <laughs> We're after it. We want to run it out. We want doubt to feel so uncomfortable in this room till it has to leave. And all that's left is faith. And when faith, when God sees faith, what's going to happen? He's going to be pleased. He's going to smile. And when heaven smiles on you, you'll know it. I said, you will know it. The blessings will rain on your life. And a flood tide of glory will rise. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Oh, kere mangra, eske kero, osh dinanila, efre gumambra, eshti greena patai, eglifre tobaras no mondre. Elegromen isti adelis, eke folomia bata pranisti, oh, kevacho, ye beres, kumambrave, ene nusto, leve kubele nune la fafaste, kue yere asumula. For there are blessings to take. There are horizons to see. There are levels of grace and glory. But they're not for the faint, and they're not for the weak, and they're not for the griper, and they're not for the doubter, but they're for the believer. For the believer. For the believer. Is it not written in my word, to him that overcomes, will I give, will I give, will I give, will I give? And the one who overcomes doubt, the one who overcomes fear, the one who overcomes unbelief, the one who overcomes the negativism of this world system will live and will see the glory of God manifested and will see and receive the blessings of God in their life and will rise from grace to grace, from faith to faith, and from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ah, hallelujah. 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 This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.